Hey, neighbor. Um, Jason, Nate, don't worry about the PowerPoint. My PowerPoint time last night was interrupted by a 10-hour power outage on Kelly Drive. Woo, woo, yeah. Three babies under three and no power for 10 hours, man. We had glow sticks hanging from everywhere. We finally just got in the car and rode around until they fell asleep. Man, I'm telling you, it was, it was the wild, the wild, wild west on Kelly Drive last night, fam. So, yeah, this is going to be incomplete at best. Just don't, don't mess with it. They teased us around 2.45. It came on. Everything. Alexa started yelling at me. The alarm was like, alert, alert, your power is on. And then I was like, yeah, and then, boo, pulled the plug for another two hours. And I was like, hmm. Thank you for all the men and women in Alabama power who made it happen, though, in all sincerity. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, James chapter 1 with me this morning. I'll, I'll tell you, remind you, as always, that um, Chase Sims stands before you this morning as a brother who is in recovery from an addiction to religion. And every day of my life and every moment of my time with Jesus is a reminder of how many layers of my heart are calloused by the processes that I prioritized over the person of Jesus for a lifetime. And uh, this morning, our big idea is your concept of sin might be preventing you from intimacy with God, okay? Your, my, Chase Sims, let's, let's internalize it a little bit. My concept, my limited concept of sin for far too many years hindered, arguably even prevented my intimacy with God. Um, if we were to go around the room right now and define sin, you probably, much like I, for all of my life, would list the arguably the, the cultural norms of do's and don'ts. When I was growing up, it felt like the greatest sin was not to say yes ma'am, no ma'am, was to smoke a cigarette or have a drink of alcohol, right? Grew up in South Mississippi, and like the bad sinners were the people who did these list of things. And the good Christian young man or young woman had great manners, they were polite and kind, and that was really about the gist of it. As long as you made mama and daddy and everybody proud, he's a good Christian young man. That's about all it required. Merriam-Webster defines sin as an offense against religious or moral law, an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible, an often serious shortcoming or fault, or a transgression of the law of God transgression of divine law. So the English definition, our typical Western understanding of sin is simply that sin is based on singular action or actions based on the writ or divine laws to be kept, and it's often reprehensible, offensive, egregious, often synonymous with murder, adultery, addiction, deceit, greed, 
her unkindness. Growing up, Chase Sims perceived righteousness to be the avoidance of all these things. And thus, appeasing and walking with God meant, I don't do the egregious, sinful acts that the bad, unchristian sinners do. With me? We probably all have some degree of that language or understanding in us. Interestingly, um, when you do a study on sin in the whole of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, our 66 books of the canonized text, there are four to six words, unique, different words, from the Old Testament to the New Testament in the Hebrew and the Greek language that we translate into the English word sin. Okay? See this. Four to six different words that the original writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, who were pinning these letters and these accounts, they used six different words to communicate what we would classify all as sin. It's, it'd be something like this. Um, if you take Sprite, Mountain Dew, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, 7-Up, and classify all of them as Coke, right? Hey, I'm going to run to the gas station. Would you like a Coke? Sure. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, I'm going to get a Coca-Cola. But then they might follow up with the question, of like, well, what kind of Coke do you want? Vanilla? Uh, oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, you know, they've got 20 different kinds of Coke. Like, there's sin in our English language in the translation in the English translation of a nuanced Hebrew and Greek language that the original writers on the inspiration of God wrote, um, we've got sin in our language with six words therein that have different nuanced meanings and understandings that were clear to a Hebrew people, a Jewish people, and a New Testament Christian, but may not be all that clear to us because we just, they don't translate. Make sense? So, um, I think it's really beneficial for us personally to understand these, the nuances of what sin really is. Because it is, yes, the, for these things, adultery, the, the, the one-time acts of sin, rebellion against God's desire and law. That is sin, yes, but there are also these other things that we often forget, and when we singularly focus on not doing the top ten bad things that Christians shouldn't do, we inflate ourselves and we degrade and make outcasts of others who we feel we are superior to and that God has favored more. And so today I want us to have a, a more holistic understanding of, number one, our sinfulness so that we can grow in intimacy with God. We can maybe overcome the own barriers of us understanding God's grace and steadfast love and faithfulness toward us and also how to better embrace, encourage, and communicate sin and grace to those who are outside the family of faith and who do not currently know or walk in intimacy with God. Make sense? Sound good? Anybody in opposition? Well, then, Jack, just get out, man. I'm kidding. That was a joke. He didn't raise his hand if you're watching online. Jack is among the brethren today. Let's go, family. Um, 
Da, 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 da. So, uh, in, in James chapter 1, okay, starting in verses 12, going to go to verse 15. Blessed is the man who remains fake, uh, steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, I want you to catch this. This is kind of going to be a, a, the premise that we're going to try to understand this morning. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. One of the most poignant and arguably uh, prominent aspects of sin and sinfulness that we see throughout the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is the progressive, ongoing, journey-driven connotation of, faint, of faithfulness, sanctification, and life with and in Jesus Christ. Okay, The ongoing. When Jesus calls his disciples, he didn't say, come and sin no more. He said, come, follow me, learn my life. He invites us on a journey of a thousand steps, of a million steps, right? He says, come and know me, come and walk with me, join me on my mission, come and grow with me. But most of my life, I thought that that relationship with Jesus was now based on, I have given my life to him, and the standard by which I appease him, the way in which I know him, and the way in which I receive blessings from him is that I just signed up to not do the bad things that I have always done, right? In my own power, Chase Sims was going to avoid the one-off, one-act sins, forgetting that Jesus had invited me into a relationship where this, on-grow, this ongoing journey with him is about growing out of my sin, my sinfulness, um, in steadfast faithfulness. Uh, Think about people like David, Solomon, Moses, and Peter. Jesus called them on a journey, on a mission. And they had egregious, huge, blatant sin that we would look at today and say, man, that disqualifies anybody who's in leadership in a spiritual context today. Man, that makes a man or a woman an outcast in the circle of God's faithful. But these men who were the heroes of our biblical text, had these egregious, what we would say, off-besetting sins or disqualifying sins. And yet God said, David had a man killed because he slept with his wife and made a baby and but then lied and gets this man killed. That's a man after God's own heart. And we say, how can that be? It, it, it sticks in us a little bit weird, right? Moses, Peter, all these guys who just... Had some didn't have the best resume when it comes to just, you know, sinless perfection, which is not a thing. Um, the oldest and most used word in the Old Testament, which is the foundation of the more modern usages and understandings, means, listen, to miss the mark, right? Heard that. The, the, the Hebrew root hate, ironic, not spelled H-A-T-E, but nevertheless, ironic to me, um, means to miss the mark. Growing up, I thought that meant like God had given me a bow and arrow with a target in the back of the room. And he was standing over my shoulder saying, fire away. And I was missing the mark. 
He was frustrated. I was failing. I was disappointing. And I was displeasing because I couldn't hit the mark with that one shot. And every day I would wake up and I would strive my best to just live as, as perfectly as I could and what my understanding of sin and righteousness was. And I would get home and I would lay my head in bed at night and I would feel so far from God because I could remember the attitude I had with my mom or my sister. Or I could remember, oh, I, I should have talked to this person and I didn't. Oh, I did. Like all these little things are just thrown off and they are distancing me in my heart and my mind from God because I feel like I had, he was displeased in me because I had missed the target on so many things today. But interestingly enough, this, this word to miss the mark is used in um, several times throughout the Old Testament. We see it in this context. Proverbs 19.2 says that desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. The Old Testament uses the same word hate in a secular sense. It's not a religious word, okay? It wasn't like a, a Christians didn't create the word that we see in the Old and New Testament for sin. It, it existed in the context of the day. Desire without knowledge uh, makes his feet miss the way. Um, the word meant to miss the right point. It was more akin to um, a sailor gets on a ship in Caesarea Philippi, and he is charting a course to Rome. All the while, as he is on his way to Rome. That's the mark. That's the point that he is striving to get to. He's just a little bit misaligned. And on this journey, he realizes once he gets there, oh, I am not where I intended to be in the beginning. So it wasn't like all these, this plot graph of sin, 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 sin along the, along the way, but it was the point in which he was wanting to arrive at. He was misaligned in direction for whatever reason. So, follow me here. That's just our, that's, that's kind of our foundation for what we're going to look at from James and see why it really matters today. Listen, friends, when we see the concepts of faithfulness and the concepts of sanctification throughout your God-ordained, divine, writ scriptures, it's speaking of a journey in which we have said, Jesus, I will follow you. My destination is to glorify you in all things, to finish this race, all right? To finish this long, progressive journey of a race and finally arrive at the finish line, which is the face of God, his glory, and his, the eternal reward, which in James chapter 1 tells us is the crown of life. So, James chapter 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is the crown that God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's this whole aspect of sin that for most of my life I had no idea was a thing. And it's this progressive journey of steadfast faithfulness in with to the Lord, walking with him as he 
gradually sanctifies me so that I'm not beating myself with a whip every time I fail and removing myself from the pleasure of God, removing myself from the presence of God because I feel so guilty. That's negating grace. The Lord says, hey, look, Peter, I knew you were going to mess up the whole while, but I called you to teach you the lessons in those moments, not so that you would run back to your fishing boat, but so that you would walk with me and grow with me. Gonna, we're going to simplify some of these things that just get to why it matters, okay? At the end of the day, I believed that God was tempting and testing me to see if I was going to be faithful, right? Time after time, like, God, why are you testing me? God, why? Every time something happened, every time I have a sip, oh, God's testing me, and I failed the test. But friends, the test is life, not every little moment. He's not keeping a scorecard of, did you... Did your good outweigh your bad today? And that's where you find yourself appeasing to God and, and <laughs> pleasure in his eyes. He sees when Jesus looks on, when God looks on you, he sees his son Jesus if you're in Christ. So he's not keeping a scorecard of Chase's day, of Bobby's day. He looks on you and he sees Jesus, his son, in whom he is well pleased. And he lavishes his love on us through Jesus who died in our place for our sin. God isn't tempting or testing you throughout the day, listen to me. He's calling you. He's calling you. It's like his disciples and his apostles. He didn't say, come and never sin again, but he said, follow me and find the life your heart longs for and your mind dreams of. Learn my life. Follow me on this mission. You're going to make mistakes, but that's why it's a journey, and I want to teach and train you in those mistakes. This is the path that leads to the John 10.10 life to the fullest not the expectation of sinless perfection, but the gradual sanctification as we walk with God in surrendering ourselves more and more to Him. So, in the end, why does it matter? Chase, this is a lot of words, kind of way up in the air. The price for missing the mark on understanding our sin and limiting it just to the understanding of good and bad deeds. Listen, our sin is so much greater than just the bad that we do, but the brokenness that we are. It's our inability. It's our inability to reach the intended destination without the hand of God walking with us, guiding us, leading us all the way. When we miss the mark of understanding sin as a progressive journey. It gives us an inflated sense of self-righteousness. I didn't do these things. I don't do these things. I don't do these things. And typically those are based on our cultural understanding. What's normative and acceptable to a Christian in South Mississippi or Alabama is probably not the same culturally as it is in India. I went to Nepal two years ago. I was on a backpacking trip. I was walking around. Here, I can go around all day and be like, Bobby, what's up, man? My God, thumbs up. Love you, dude. I did that in Nepal, and I got pulled to the side. I was offending everybody there. You know what I was saying with my thumbs up in Nepal? Up yours. 
That's exactly what it means. I was like, no, 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 I'm encouraging them. They're like, no, they are not understanding the message here. A lot of times what we perceive, what we judge our righteousness on is a cultural understanding of where we live. Thumbs up here, Chase, he's such a sweet guy. He's such a good guy. He loves everybody. Take that to Nepal. And they thought that I was cussing everybody out. Was I sinning against all these people? Was my heart wrong before the Lord? Was I don't think so. God willing, I, I, I definitely didn't go on a mission trip to tell everybody, up yours, turd. Sorry, Corinne tells me I shouldn't call everybody turd. So, <laughs> Come on in, Corinne. Kidding. All right. Um, it gives us an inflated sense of self-righteousness when we take the standard of our culture and impose that into the biblical text of what sin is and what sin isn't. As a result of that, it gives us this hypocritical Phariseeism. This is exactly what the Pharisees did. They said, we've got the rules, we're abiding by the book, we're walking by the law, and everybody who's not like us, they are the enemy of God. They felt God was proud of them because of their ardent adherence to the writ law while their hearts were far from the mission of God in Jesus Christ. They literally killed Jesus so that they could abide in the law that Jesus said, I've landed that plane, friends. I am, I am him. I am the one you seek. And they said, no, no, no. It doesn't match the rules. When sin is solely action-based, we compare our sins to others, inflating self and degrading others. We talked about that earlier. It really creates this... Honestly, sadly enough, what a lot of Christians are known for in, in the grander culture today is being bigoted and hateful towards certain groups of people. Why? Because their sin is different from ours. We can say that sin, these three are big, while the rest of them, we can ignore those. The Pharisees said, these three are worth dying for. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, to the Pharisees, he says, why do you, the priests and the Pharisees, hold the people to a standard that you yourself are unwilling to even try to attain? You're whipping the people with the laws and the expectations that you are incapable of and unwilling to even try to attain. When we classify and, and just focus on this one singular action, we can so quickly become, com, become consumed with our perceived self-righteousness. A pride that says, I am the Holy One, and you who sin differently than I do in a much more public sense and in a much more egregious sense set by our culture, mind you, you are far from God, and I am near to Him. When sin is solely action-based and not understanding the journey of our hearts akin to Christ, walking with him in the grace of God that forgives and teaches in our shortcomings. We inflate ourselves and we degrade others. Fourthly, we make the good news, please hear this, we make the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to sound like bad news. This 
journey, think about this. There are many wayward, searching souls and hearts, hungry hearts and longing minds that surround us on a daily basis because their journey is way off course. And though they know it, in the tireless toil of trying to appease their heart's deepest desire and bring peace to their mind's greatest fears and anxieties and stressors, and they are seeking it in everything they can. They are seeking the peace that their heart longs for in alcoholism and in sex and in any pleasure of every sort. That's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. And so, (laughs) when you understand repentance and the good news of Jesus, it says, look, friend, you're incapable of hitting the mark you desire. The John 10, 10, life to the full, that's where you want to go, but you're a little off course. The good news of Jesus says, hey, He'll correct the ship for you. He'll correct the ship for you. So my friends at work who don't walk with God and who are miserable, making lots of money, having plenty of stuff, and indulging in every pleasure imaginable, but they are miserable. The good news to them is not, hey, you're a dirty, wretched, nasty, wicked adulterer and all these things that we, we cast people out when we when we say hey sin has this this understanding of you're doing all these terrible things and there's this shame connected to it which in some sense is real but the good news of understanding this other side of sin that says it's just them trying to fix the misaligned heart who's longing for the peace of God we can bring the good news and say hey friend forget all the stuff that's a symptom of a wayward journey the Lord God wants to redirect your destination. He's not telling you, hey, you got to stop all this stuff because I'm not doing it. And if you want to walk with God, you shouldn't. He says, no, hey, friend, your hungry heart, the Lord God has set a table that he's inviting you to. He's paid the price. He's provided the meal. And he is saying, my friend, come and eat from the table of the Lord that is full and good and available. You have to understand that sometimes we make outcasts in our own self-righteousness, and we make the good news sound like bad news. It's like this. Jesus offers a lighthouse to the lost and wandering, scared soul. They're shipwrecked. They're scared. They're lonely. They're lost. They're hungry. Rather than come aboard, I know the way, Christians are taught to shout from a distance, I need you to get out of that boat. You're such an idiot to have gotten in it in the first place. Why are you doing that? That's stupid. God says don't do that. They don't know any other way because they're trying to meet the most elementary need of their heart, the most foundational need of their heart, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the rest of our souls from Matthew. But we're saying, jump out of that boat. You know what happens when they jump out of that boat? They drown. Instead of us saying, hey, jumping in the boat with them, saying, let me show you the guy who knows the way. We create distance. Fifthly, along that note, our limited understanding of sin causes us to teach, preach and convert, preach and convert rather than engage and disciple. You can preach from a distance, but you can't love someone without embracing them. Listen, our limited understanding of sin has caused the church to create distance from those who sin differently from us. Not understanding that we are just as desperate and poor and needy as the person whom you deem as guilty of the most egregious sin. Why? Because the primary problem on which all these other problems are built is we're all misaligned in direction. We cannot get 
to the point our hearts most desire without entrusting ourselves to the Lord and trusting his hand to lead us to journey. It's a sad day when the church's theology of sin has taught us to avoid lifeboats rather than climbing in and showing wanderers the way home. The Lord says, friends, I've redeemed you for a purpose. I've called you on a mission, which is to get people to the table of the Lord, not push them out because they look, sound, smell, live differently. Sin based on cultural customs and ethnocentrism. We've talked about that. Here's the freedoms, that understanding, the, the journey mentality of sin that the Lord says, look, it's the heart. This steadfastness is a heart's fixation on the Lord Jesus and his grace that guides us home. Not the sinless perfection that makes me appeasing to God. When we begin to understand this, number one, it frees us to know God rather than appease God. Hey, it's impossible for us to appease God with our good deeds. Just, just forget about it. The Lord doesn't look on you. Your favor with him and him hearing your prayers when you lay your head on your pillow at night is not based on did I sin more than I didn't sin today. Did I? Listen, our sin can create distance, but at the same time, that's typically because we allow it to. He's forgiven us for our sin, and we say, Lord, my heart, my life, my mind fixed for your mission. And we can know him and walk with him in the grace of his abundant, immeasurable, steadfast love rather than separate ourselves in the shame of failure. Number two, it allows us to love others rather than judge others. Man, the church has been guilty for a long time of making outcasts of those who sin differently. And it's a sad, sad day that we have created a paradigm where the church is a picture of hatred because in, in bigotry simply because we have said, hmm, those people are the enemy. Oh, those people are, when a lot of us, if this is the table of the Lord and the life he's called us on in this journey, while we're out making outcasts of those over here who are miserable in their sin probably, we're not here. We're here in our own self-righteousness. We're on the other side of the aisle saying, oh, ho, 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 those folks are going to hell. Just get out of the boat all the while. <laughs> it's our own self-righteousness that prevents us. A lot of these folks who are so ardent and loud about the sin of others, what? We don't hear from God and walk with God on a daily basis. We're not seeing the hand of God in miraculous, powerful ways. We're not knowing the full intimacy of the John 10, 10 life to the fullest with God. But we're running as fast and hard as we can after the rules to try to get there. We're still trying to get to the place of peace by working in our own strength to do all the things that our culture says is the right things. While the Lord God says, hey, throw down your weapon of weakness and just know me and walk with me. And you'll see the life that I've promised you and the life that I've provided you. So we can know God rather than appease God. We can love others rather than judge others. And when we begin to understand this steadfastness of God's grace, good news becomes good news to wayward hearts rather than a hateful me message of God hates you, right? That he doesn't. That was, you know, that was what the message meant. Um, so, this morning, listen, I've struggled to try to convince and make concise.
guys, I hope, I hope you hear this. All right, a lot of words to summarize. Jeff, you can come on up. Um, I missed Jesus for a lot of years of my life thinking that I was the holiest guy in the hall because I wasn't doing the wrong thing. I was scared to death of the sinners who had the egregious, terrible. There were people that I, I mean, couldn't even have a conversation with without being so awkward because I felt like I was in the presence of Satan himself. <laughs> Why? It wasn't the Spirit of God. It was cultural norms that made me terrified of the sinners because I was the righteous Pharisee, and I wouldn't dare get my hands dirty <laughs> with those folks. I was scared of them. Friends, today know this, that the Lord doesn't look at you and keep a scorecard of your right and wrong all day. You know what he's after? A heart, a heart whose attention and affection is set on him. Because in the end, when we set the course and grab hold of his hand to walk fully, faithfully, steadfastly in it, we receive the crown of life, which is what we're all looking for, right? James 1.15, those who endure, the steadfast, not just in trials, but in your sin. When we remain steadfast, we stumble and don't say, oh God, I left myself by the road. We get back up and say, Jesus, I know you love me even in my stupidity and my arrogance and my selfishness. God, walking with you, he brings life from death and beauty from ashes and makes light in the darkness in us but then also in our friends who are pursuing a different path of own self-justification and self-gratification and we say hey friend the Jesus whom died for you died knowing that you are a sinner who's momentary rebellion on a daily basis is the fruit of a heart that's seeking to appease its own desire. It's impossible. If it's a bow and an arrow, we don't have a tip to even get it off the bow. If it's a journey, we don't even have a road map without the Lord God's hand. Friends, the peace that your heart longs for, the hope the provision that your mind craves, the power of God that you have probably read and heard of from a stage much like this, but you're just like, God, where is it? I hear you're doing all these miracles. God, I hear you do all these things here. God, I, I've been told that these things are your reality. God, I, why am I not seeing and knowing the life that's been promised from me in a book and on a stage for a lifetime? The answer for Chase Sims was, I was obsessed with my own self-righteousness rather than embracing Jesus on the journey of progressive sanctification and life, giving me the freedom to love those who sin differently from me, but whose heart was just as hungry for the same feast. Jeff's going to lead us. Hey, I just ask you right now, have a real moment to say, Lord, what are exposing me the self-righteous desires and practices that
prevent me from seeing and knowing you and embracing and loving others who are different from me. And then, look, I'm not asking you to do anything, but have an honest conversation with the Lord and uh, hear him clearly and loudly and respond accordingly, however he says. And then we'll break in groups here in a little bit and do our thing. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that clarifies and convicts and solidifies. Jesus, grow our hearts by your word. Encourage us by your spirit. And Jesus, lead us as a family whose only goal is to know you and on your mission, love and help others know you all the same.